episode 10 episode 10 episode 10 I just, episode 10 i can't believe we've made it this far i know uh welcome back everyone to explaining to austin i'm peyton hi peyton and that's austin i'm austin and this is the 10th episode of the show Can it's you a big believe it big anniversary for us uh not anniversary but like milestone all the adversity that we've faced uh, yeah, all, all the times, like last episode when I fucked up the audio <laughs> and forgot to turn my mic on. And oh, But boy, today's the 10th episode, and hopefully all the audio is good this week. No, let's hope. Uh, that'd, be, that'd, be, that'd be the biggest treat of all for episode 10, is to oh, not say. sound like shit. <laughs> uh, Austin, you're doing all right? Peyton, I'm doing wonderfully. I good. graduated from college on Monday. So I heard. So I don't, I'm sure you can relate as someone who graduated recently, but like, it feels like there is suddenly a piece of my brain that is no longer constantly occupied just in the background of like, what do I have to do at midnight? Anxiety. Ooh, what do I have to do next? Dude, I I literally still have. For the first time in so long, feel like I can actually empty my head. It's a weight lifted off your, off your humongous chest and My very large chest. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I still get, I still have dreams where I'm, I, where like, I, I still have like high school math and I've forgotten about it. And it's just like, you know, like those dreams where it's like, as if you're still in high school math, like right now currently, but like somehow you've just completely forgot about it. But then like in the dream, you find yourself in the class and you're like, oh my God, I can't, this whole time I've had math and I've been forgetting to do it. Yeah, no, I totally, I'm fucking with you on that one. Yeah, uh, yeah, so. I've had dreams about my last job while at this job, like, stress that, like, in the dream I wake up and it's, like, I'm on my station, but no one did prep before me, uh-huh. so it's, like, we're starting dinner service and I'm, like, on an empty station. Yeah, yeah. I don't even work there anymore and <laughs> I still get that stress. Yeah. That job was insanely stressful. Um, uh, I'm, I'm having a nice beverage here. It's a, uh. It's a Mike's Hard Lemonade, but it's like Ooh. black cherry flavored. Ooh. It's quite nice. I, so this is really cool. I found this beer that um, is from Milwaukee, as a lot of beers are. Mm-hmm. And apparently in 1893, uh, it was made by this German immigrant and it won the blue ribbon for the Shut best the beer in America. <laughs> <laughs> Please stop talking. Do not talk for several days. <laughs> Uh, it's really nice. It's just a subtle lager with nice weedy tastes. God. This is why everyone likes me. That's why I'm the favorite host of this podcast. So. Uh, not according to the subreddit. Oh, there's a, we have a subreddit? You didn't know about it? Exactly. It's just me posting from a hundred different alt accounts. <laughs> it's a weird ARG. It's, a, it's an elaborate catfish situation oh, involving God. you. We're just really pathetic and we really want a community. Yeah. Um... Well, uh, I guess, you know, normally we might talk for, oh, oh yeah, one thing, sorry, before we go on, uh, I just wanted to, uh, to make a quick, uh, this is an official endorsed statement from the Explaining to Austin podcast. I haven't asked you ahead of time, but I'm, I'm sure you'll share the sentiment. Uh, we wanted to say that we here at the Explained to Austin podcast have complete support uh, for uh, a free Palestine, oh, and so that uh, uh, fuck the IDF. All my homies hate. Yang. All my homies a- hate the IDF, fuck the uh, IDF and the apartheid state of Israel. Uh, so, 
Yeah, you, I'm assuming you're in concurrence oh, on that. Absolutely, in full concurrence with that. Dope. Fuck Andrew Yang. Also. Oh yeah, I saw that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what a little bitch boy. Yeah, he's he's the he's like, I I swear to God, I went to high school with kids like that. He's like he's like people I went to high school with, if they never grew like emotionally or socially the kids anymore. Just thought they were so fucking smart. All yeah, the time. like the stem lord. Yeah, yeah. Oh god. Um. But, uh, yeah, uh, on that same political top, not the same, but on another political note, sort of political, cultural, uh, you, you, got, you got a full tank of gas because, you, know, you know, about the ain't been, gas ain't nowhere right now in our state. It's a fake shortage. It's, it's a fake shortage that's caused a real shortage. I'm but, like, the whole irritated. reason in the first place is, like, the pipeline got attacked. Like, uh, not a, it literally, it was a it was cyber attack. Somewhere. But, like, they can still, like send the gas the problem is the way they bill right now that's the part that was taken down so they literally just aren't sending it because they can't get paid for it so they're like fine we're gonna not do it but even then like you said just it's just one every you know it should we should still be fine but now there's this panic yeah it's literally like resulting. If you don't need gas don't go get it yeah but all these fucking troglodytes are going out and panic buying gas it's like you're going to create a problem for everyone else who is trying to be responsible. They're, they're out here like uh, it's always sunny, filling up trash cans with Literally gasoline, fucking walking on their fucking knees and knuckles to the gas pumps and breathing out their mouth trying they're, to fill up. They're gonna come try cars. and sell gas door to door. These uh, fucking dipshits are gonna line their trunk, their truck beds with fucking trash bags and just fill. Their just fill it up like gas. a little pool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like a gasoline pool. Ooh, I love oh, a dip man. in a nice gas pool. It just kills me. I'm like, the gas station by my house was pretty full earlier, but I'm also, like, pretty out in the country, so, like, I don't expect it to actually run out. That's good. Um, yeah. And there's also, like, another gas station literally five minutes from that. And, again, being well, uh, pretty out in the country, it's like, no one's really coming out here. Good. Well, mm-hmm. I live somewhat near you now, so I'm going to come definitely to those stations then and take all the gas. Yeah, I can tell you just which one. fill up my... I, I don't have a truck. I have a hatchback, but I'm just going to put like a plastic liner behind the front two seats of my car and then fill up the back with gas, by, like a fish tank. That. You just come on by. I'll just uh, help you rig that up. Yeah, I'll make sure that it's watertight so it doesn't get in the front. Recently, um, my lovely girlfriend has been picking on my somewhat southern accent sometimes. Yeah. Like every once in a while it pops out and she'll just like exaggerate my accent and like make fun of what I just said. Uh-huh. But then, like, you know, her parents are from Ohio, and the yeah. other day, uh, she said the word no, but pronounced it new. Ha. And um, so I just yelled at loser. her for being a Yankee for an hour. Got her. If she, every t- anytime she makes fun of your accent, just tell her that uh, she's being classist and being a class reductionist, and that she's That's an elitist. Um, yeah, I will. Upper class person. Yeah. Good idea. Austin, uh, without further ado, fur- further ado, um, let's get into our tenth episode. Now, today's a bit special, Austin, uh, for for two reasons. One, 
I have not told you the film in advance. I've only told you that it's a film we have a connection to. And in that connection, another special thing. You've actually seen today's film. I, I don't think I you've seen it. On the show. I don't think you've seen it in a long time. So, I'll, uh, you know, I think explaining it will still offer some fresh reminiscence yeah. to you. Um, um, but you have seen it at least once. Um, can so I swing a guess? Uh, yeah. So, like I said, it's a film that has some meaning to us. So I thought it would be good for a good old episode 10 to so, do. Go ahead and give it a guess. Meaning for us as in we watched it together at some point? Either we watched it together or we have a connection to it. Even if we didn't watch it together, we both are fans of it. That kind of thing. And is it out for justice? It is out for Steven Seagal's, Steven out, Seagal's out, out for, for justice. justice. I think yes! I, I feel like it said on the poster that it's Steven Se- uh, it's it's not Steven Seagal's out for justice, but it does have Steven Seagal in bigger letters than the title out for justice on the yeah, poster. Steven Seagal in out for justice. Like, I mean, and he did produce it. So, you know, it oh, was really? it's very much like a Steven Seagal project. Even when you though, told me that I had seen it and that it ha- we had a connection to it immediately my brain set out for justice and i'm thrilled to talk about this masterpiece of a trash fire oh, that's good that's good um yeah so uh yeah we do yeah we do have a connection to it you actually think i can't remember if it was last week or maybe the week before when you brought up out for justice um uh, in the, the podcast time... oh, yeah, i yeah, think when we were talking about chud last week the scene where the guy the police captain has his men with flamethrowers go down into the sewers i think you alluded to a certain beginning scene and shotgun shells yeah and out for justice um so i'm so excited about this well you know i do have to admit so i had this idea um i think after i uploaded the episode or finished doing the episode tuesday night last week for for this wednesday and you know once the episode was up wednesday you know i was already kind of brainstorming about oh, what are we going to do for episode 10? And, you know, then I immediately had the thought, well, maybe we should do a special thing that, you know, we kind of have a history with. And I thought, out for justice. Um, but I am I am somewhat peeved to report that, uh, that unfortunately, the, uh, the incredibly much more successful and popular podcast as compared to us, um, Chapo Trap House, they literally did an episode not about out for justice, but about Steven Seagal in general, <laughs> literally on Friday. No. Uh, and and they kind of they kind of sniped us out, uh, so I'm I'm a bit peeved about that. But in in you know in tip you know kind of in a revenge fashion, I will say that uh, I listened to their premium uh, Patreon episodes for free uh, via an illegal uh, source. So nice. <laughs> so I so that that's that's my revenge. You know I don't feel I don't feel sad and that uh, that I'm doing that because they stole our idea for today's episode. But they their their episode was kind of about they were reading an article from like when he first hit the scene. Uh, for, in like the LA Times where they interviewed him, it wasn't about a specific movie. So today we're you know really just focused on Out for Justice. Um, oh, yeah. So I feel like it's still its own. We we can do our own thing today. Um, and and in saying that, Austin, do you want to? Uh, how about you share your recollection of our history uh, with this movie to to our lovely listeners? Like where we watched it? Or yeah, like- yeah. Like the what what? How were we introduced to this movie? What was the scenario? Okay, so it had to be uh, 2015 or 16. Yeah, I would say so. Um, because definitely, I, I think 16. I, I think it was 16. 
Yeah, it was after. So yeah, it was. It was definitely 2016 because it was after I cut my hair, but I was still in high school. So uh huh. Yeah. Um, that's kind of like a timeline of. I'm yeah. bad at remembering actual time. So like, uh, it's like sp- early spring or late winter of yeah. 2016. So that's. It would have been sp- late winter or like maybe February, uh, yeah. because we were in Myrtle Beach for a church choir competition thing. Yes. Not a competition. No. It was just. It's like a, a singing group of thing. church choirs coming together. At a, a beach resort in Myrtle Beach. And this was back singing. in our heyday of, of singing in a church choir. Right, and you know I'll, I'll be the first to say that we're both pretty good singers. We both um, have quite a set of golden pipes. I'll say, um, you know, maybe one day we'll sing for you, lovely audience, on yeah. our Patreon. You know, it was, um, you know, when we get a Patreon, we'll <laughs> upload exclusive covers. And we're just going to cover songs from Lord of the Rings, specifically oh, for nice. Over the Misty Mountains Cold. Every week. Uh, Every week. Yeah, I mean, we so, we have we have been known in the past when we had our radio show that uh, that an, I, I believe even in the episode that we put up as an episode of this show we do we did do quite a bit of harmonizing. Yeah, we uh, we sure did right out right off the bat. Um, so we were at this music festival, this little choir fest, and we you me and another friend were sharing a room. And that other friend liked to brush his teeth a lot. And that's unrelated. <laughs> I just wanted to throw that one out there. Yeah, he's got a quite nice set of chomps. He's re- they're super pretty. Yeah. Uh, we were, it was late at night, probably. Late. Well, maybe not that late, but like we had driven all day. Uh, yeah, there. I don't remember. And it then, was fairly late. And then as soon as we got there, we had to like immediately practice with the yeah. other choir. It, so it, it, was like, it was a bunch of high nine, school. A bunch yeah. of high school pals in a hotel room, you know, at, at that moment unsupervised as the chaperone was in his own room. Right, we so, were connected to the chaperone's room. But we were in or, our own hotel room. Right, which was a bad, so, bad you know, move on their part. As, as it goes, a bunch of high school pals in a hotel room on a trip, you know, yeah, the, we shenanigans and, and, and tomfoolery yeah, abound. Uh, some scissoring. Yeah, um, and we, hot we, sex, gay we, sex. We were watching... Some one of those TV channels that just plays old movies all day. Yeah, it was probably like A and E or AMC or I don't know. I feel like TBS does it. USA TBS. Oh, it's definitely USA. Maybe Spike TV. I don't remember. Spike TV was still around. You know what? It probably was Spike. Is Spike TV? Did that? Is that still a channel or they don't exist Um, anymore? Let's find out. For some reason, I thought they might have stopped like a couple years ago, but I don't know. Uh. Oh, they're owned by the, the Paramount table. Network now. Okay, I think they changed to the Paramount Network. Yeah, so... so but, yeah, maybe Spike TV, because they like manly But that was in stuff. 2018, or 2017. Okay, so, so it could have been Spike TV. Could have been Spike. In so theory. we're watching that, and this movie just comes on. This was... Yeah, we caught it. We, it. we saw the tail end of something else, and this was... this. We caught this from the very beginning. We saw the and whole thing. that's pretty cool to see. Um, yeah, that doesn't happen. I don't often. know if I, anyone else in the room knew anything about it i, had I didn't seen it. i didn't i had never heard of it i barely understood who steven seagal was yeah um but boy that movie took us on a ride and i've never been back since yeah uh this same trip you know a lot of other fun things putt putt uh getting yelled at for having our phones <laughs> oh god that one that was so dumb uh that was so it was one of those ones where you weren't supposed to have your phones with you on the trip but, but it didn't make sense because who it was cares a choir trip. yeah and, and, and he told us he was whatever. disappointed in us i didn't care uh and, like, okay. and at uh, one point we chased a duck around a putt-putt course <laughs> a girl while we were putt-putting a girl yelled from a balcony and said i was cute which was fun yeah i bet that really stuck in your memory 
that really did. It really just fed my God complex that I have to this day. <laughs> yeah. Um, but out of all of that, I have to say Out for Justice is, is probably the main thing I took away from that weekend trip. No, that um, was a really good trip. Like, looking back, that was, like, a really good time. But, yeah, Out for Justice kind of stands out as the... Uh, as the pinnacle. Uh, I wanted to say that, yeah, we are very much drawn to this movie and sucked in. I know for me, it was kind of, I was still in a phase of like that, like I was still in my sort of like high school film nerd phase where like, you know, all the movies you watch are like Tarantino and Wes Anderson and, and the Coen brothers and stuff. So I was very much like in like this one specific kind of area of watching movies. And I hadn't really expanded my, my love of movies to what they are today with a love of, you know, genre and horror. And specifically this was a time before I had really seen any like older action movies. Uh, specifically like the, the kind of gold, my personal considered golden age of action movies where it's like the seventies through the early nineties yeah, of I like action that. movies with squibs and real, you know, real, not real, but like squibs and uh, you know, real blood effects, practical effects, yeah. you know, guns with blanks, car chases you know the real the real like on the ground you know visceral action stuff you know i'm talking you know lethal weapon die hard predator you know all the good classics i hadn't really seen any of that at that point so sort of i think the reason i was pulled into out for justice was i had i hadn't personally seen a movie like out for justice where it's like a real you know visceral old school action film so to yeah, speak. no, I, I, I'm with you on that. Like, definitely, um, one of the first like classic action films I've seen, uh, or one of the ones that really stuck in my mind. Yeah, like I, I'd seen Terminator by that point, you know, uh-huh. but like, and like stuff in that same vein. But I think this is the first one that was like. Yeah, uh, and know. I will go into when I talk about the film how maybe it it doesn't necessarily hold up now that I've seen a lot of other action movies. Oh, um, God. I can't even imagine. I haven't seen it since then. But, um, you know, also, though, you have Steven Seagal, who, like, good. whether you think he's good or bad, he's definitely enigmatic and kind of, like, eye-catching. Uh, and I think even for us at that time, we kind of recognized the, like, cheesy, you know, fun but, like, kind of dumb quality of Steven Seagal specifically. Yeah, I think that's why that bit stuck in our minds so hard and, like, why that moment in the hotel room was, like, so important. Yeah, I mean, I'll go... We clearly had a great time with that. I'll go into it when I begin the... It's at the very beginning of my explanation, but the movie opens and within first five minutes we have a freeze frame on Steven Seagal with his name then appearing. And this is before the title screen even comes up. Shit, you're right. Yeah, and I think that really hooked us when we we got that like i mean because like <laughs> i don't I, know if we would have been dedicated to this movie if that specifically didn't i mean it's I it, it's, it's an eye-catching oh, moment oh yeah oh that was so good um so that's kind of our background with the film i yeah i hadn't seen it since 2016 when i first saw this with you and that was a long time ago for me and you know or at least relatively speaking as a 21 year old that was when i was like 16 or 15 so like it's it's a long time it feels like a long time ago even though it's not it does feel well like i feel like i'm a very different person than i was then like i've yeah, gone through a lot of as am i in the last five years mm-hmm. like we both have um so yeah you, you said you haven't seen it since then either no i sure haven't okay good so yeah this was a real you know 
kind of blast from the past for me, and I believe it when I talk about it, it will be for you. I first off want to say that uh, it's funny that I decided to do this, and my mind didn't make the connection right away, but kind of right around, I can't remember if it was right before or right after I decided to do this, in the news it actually came out, and I don't know if you've seen this, did you know that, um, you know that Steven Seagal uh, took a trip to Venezuela and presented the socialist president of Venezuela, uh, Nicolas uh, Maduro, with a samurai sword. No, why did he do this? Um, as like an act of friendship, but I don't. I believe it was. I don't think it's part of America. Uh, I don't think it was on behalf of America. I think it was on behalf of Russia because for some reason, Steven Seagal also is like friends with like the Russian government. Uh, hold on. I'm, I'm looking it up. Uh, so yeah. So he gave, he gave the socialist president of Venezuela, a samurai sword. Uh, let's see. So he was visiting Venezuela as a, as representative of Russia and could be seen giving Maduro the sword in the state television images aired on Tuesday evening. Um, So, I mean, that's pretty interesting. Um, uh, I mean, you know, Steven Seagal in the past, from what I've seen, doesn't have the best politics, but it's pretty cool if, you know, he's he's down enough to go to socialist Venezuela and give the president a a samurai sword. Yeah, homie. Uh, You know... And obviously, you have you seen um, pictures of Steven Seagal recently? Like in the last, like, uh, actually, I think I have. He doesn't look. He's great. quite a rotund man now, uh, and we won't get into it because obviously we're focusing on out for justice. But even his life in general, and even today, continues to be an extremely fascinating event of uh, of kind of dream fulfillment for him and. Uh, Tall tales, according to him, of things from his past, like working for the CIA, all sorts he's of fun. An interesting looking individual. I, yeah, so he's interesting looking. He has a lot of interesting stories that are probably lies he made up about, you know, working for the CIA and stuff like that. But uh, you know, he he gave he gave Maduro a samurai sword, so he seems to at least be somewhat of a comrade. So I respect to him for that. Um, so. I will now. You want me to get into? Do you have any questions you want to ask, or you want me to get into the facts for Out for Justice? Yeah, let's just get right into the facts. Okay, good, good. So, first off, this movie came out in 1991. So this is fairly towards the beginning of Seagal's career, because I believe his first movie um, was around 89 or 88. So fairly near the beginning. Okay. Okay. So he's fairly new, hot commodity on the scene. It was directed. He's a hot little number who's single and ready to mingle. Yeah, you know he he got that you know slick ponytail. He's he was, he was trim, pretty slim, fit man. Oh yeah. You know, uh, uh, this this film was directed by a man named John Flynn, who I haven't personally seen any of his other other movies, but he's made a fair amount of movies through the seventies through the nineties. Some ones I wrote down, he made a movie called Rolling Thunder that I haven't seen, but I really want to. I think I've heard about it before, but then looking it up now, I was reminded about it. And now I really do want to go back and watch it because I think it's about like a Vietnam vet coming home and then like killing all these people who like wronged him or something. And he has like a, he has like a, you know, prosthetic like hook hand. 
uh, from the poster anyway, it seems to be. So that sounds like a cool movie. So I want to watch that. And then also apparently he made a movie in like after this in like the mid to late nineties with, um, the kid from Terminator two. Uh, I can't remember that kid's name, but, uh, he made him Eric Furlong. He made a movie with Eric Furlong called brain scan. That's about like Eric Furlong is like a computer obsessed kid. And like a, like an evil entity like comes out of the computer and is like evil or something. It's very much like mid, like early computer age, like, you know, Oh wow. You know, hacking and computers and whoa. So that seems cool. Um, so getting into this film, uh, obviously, as we've said, star Steven Seagal was also produced by Steven Seagal and he took a existing script and rewrote it or like adapt, you know, took the script and made yeah, his yeah. changes to it. Cause apparently the original was not fitting for, for it didn't, live up to didn't meet Seagal. the Seagal standard of quality. Um, so very I my life, like I'm trying to meet the Seagal standard of quality, <laughs> very involved with the process, not just an actor. Uh, and I wanted to point out that he plays a character an Italian Brooklyn uh, cop named Gino Fellino. That's his character's name? That's his character. I, it, I listened for it last night because I was aware of this going in. I don't, if they, I don't think they, I don't ever remember hearing the last name. Everyone always just calls him Gino. But according to, you know, IMDb and Wikipedia, the character's name is Gino Fellino. Get out. I mean, this kind of reminds me a bit of the character names from Assassin 33 AD. Uh, They escape me at the moment, but it's very much like, you know, he should have just named the character like Mamma Mia Papa Pia. (laughs) Italian Gabagool. Yeah, uh, you know, (laughs) Greasy, Greasy Sleazeballio. (laughs) Greasy McMeatball. Yeah. um, Also, this may be dumb. And I may be dumb for not knowing this, but I only learned recently that Gabagool was just slang for Capicola. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember looking that up and finding that out a bit ago. But yeah, that's a I defi- didn't know. I, I was like, I thought Gabagool was like literally something else. I'm like, oh, I love Capicola. No, it's just a slang. It's a, yeah, you know. it's just Well, a if you say it enough times in a row, it, quickly, it, you could start to sound like it. So Yeah, I bet it was something that like. like Capicola, Gabagola, Gabagool, 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 you know? Yeah, you know, it's just something that someone was started to make fun of Italians. I'm sure that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's important to know the details and the history of the of the group you're making fun of. I'll say. Uh, so next up on the main actors for this film, in our villain role, we have uh, William Forsyth, uh, who had a who's had and has a uh, an illustrious career, kind of playing smaller side roles. He's played a lot of um, kind of muscle and like. Uh, henchman type characters Mm -hmm, uh mm -hmm. specifically i wrote down he was in raising arizona um he was in sergio leone's once upon a time in the west really good movie uh he was also in the uh i think i want to say 2017 john travolta masterpiece uh gaudy uh about uh about criminal overlord john gaudy uh notoriously bad movie that did about i think it did in the low thousands at the box office, from what I recall. Oh, uh, uh, but in, in this movie, he kind of gets to shine. He gets to play the the lead villain. And uh, as I'll get into, I think he does a decent job. He's very entertaining. And then last uh, of kind of big actors in this, in the role of kind of the uh, police chief for good old uh, Gino Fellino, 
is uh, in Jerry Orbach, who most people will know from uh, Law and Order. Uh, he played yeah. the main guy on Law and Order. Of course, he's since passed, but you know, very famous for Law and Order and his quips and Law and Order uh, and, and all that. that. He donated his eyes, and he someone. donated his eyeballs. Of course, can't forget that. So those are our actors for the film. Of course. Uh, now I want to read over some this movie uh, not only is it an in, a very interesting movie but it has a, a, a I'd say not as much as something like assassin 33 AD or nowhere near as much as um, evil within but it certainly has some some high points of interest in its behind the scenes I'm gonna burp and it's behind the scenes um, facts and weird oddities and I'll build up to the best one of all. But uh, starting out with, um, and I'll point out when he appears when I'm explaining it to you. I'll point out when I'm talking about him. But at one point, there's a character who fights Steven Seagal with kind of uh, fighting sticks, wooden fighting sticks, a la Daredevil, that kind Ooh, of thing. Um, in a pool hall, he uses Real like cool, pool buddy. sticks. Yeah, <laughs> devil sticks. Uh, um a man plays a character who does that. A man named, and I'm gonna butcher the last name, but I'll try my best. Dan Inosanto, who apparently, according to the IMDb trivia section, was one of Bruce Lee's closest friends when Bruce Bruce Lee was alive. One of the few people Bruce Lee allowed to teach other people, like under his supervision, um, oh. and like his dojo. And also, oh, apparently, damn. this guy, this Dan Dan Inosanto was the guy who taught Bruce Lee nunchucks, which, Holy if that's shit. true, that's a, quite the accomplishment, I'd say. Yeah, I'll say. Because Bruce Lee, obviously, quite known for uh, martial arts, but uh, his nunchuck skills were obviously well-documented from you know him being able to strike a match with nunchucks uh, and the like. Have you ever seen that clip? No. Yeah, he strikes amazing. a match with the nunchuck, but like doesn't break the match. Uh, it's quite amazing. Um, so next, um, so as I said, Seagal was very involved with the production of this movie. He had a lot of, he was a producer, so he had creative control in lots of ways, specifically these following ones. Um, apparently at one point he went up to, this movie takes place in Brooklyn. Uh, he went up to William Forsyth who is a Brooklyn native, apparently, from Brooklyn. He's a Brooklyn guy. And Seagal told William Forsyth that he needed to work on his Brooklyn, like, accent, to which William Forsyth replied, Trust me, you do. <laughs> and as I will try to imitate and go into in a minute, he's not wrong, because Steven Seagal's, like, Italian Brooklyn accent is hilariously, like, affected and like not good yeah it is it is very like it's very uh it's very like visible it does not seem natural and it does not seem correct and it's very entertaining and it's ridiculousness so yeah that was a fun moment of kind of steven seagal is known for his kind of uh his um arrogance and telling a brooklyn native that he needed to work on his Brooklyn accent was one such incident. Apparently, 
also, this movie originally would have been about 30 minutes longer. Right now, it sits at about an hour 30. Apparently, it was supposed to be about 30 minutes longer. But uh, Steven Seagal had them specifically cut it down because William Forsyth's villain character was kind of upstaging Steven Seagal. So he had a lot of 30 minutes worth of material cut out, supposedly, to, uh, to kind of make sure he was the spotlight. Holy shit. Uh-huh. Um... According to IMDb again, it says Steven Seagal was like very like upset. Apparently a majority of this shoot. One such reason it says uh, Steven Seagal was driven to tears on set when a light bulb in his trailer went out. (laughs) Uh, mm. It says then that he blamed he tried he blamed and tried to have a, a teamster fired for the light bulb burning out. And if I'm, you, are you aware of what a teamster is? Yeah, it's, it's a, one it's, of the biggest unions in America. Yes, exactly. Uh, I follow them on Twitter. Oh, cool, cool. So yeah, one of the biggest unions in America, kind of, kind of the vital, uh, one of the vital undersung heroes and uh, arteries, if you will, of the film production and TV production. Um, you know, dealing with driving to you know everyday maintenance stuff. You know. Uh, but yeah, apparently he blamed the teamster for this. Tried to have him fired, but was unsuccessful. So because he's unionized. Yeah, because it's a union. So so there's a another win for for unions, uh, yeah, which is good. Steven Seagal. Yeah, so uh, good one there for the union. Um, and apparently he broke William Forsyth's front tooth on a brick wall in their kind of final fight scene for this movie. Oh my god. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> Kind of a yeah a shit move on on Seagal's part to break a dude's front tooth during a, a stage fight. Uh, Jesus. So, but Austin, I have to tell you, everything I've said so far has been child's play. Has been has been dust in the wind oh, no. to this last story. Oh, no. And I'm sure maybe someone listening, someone's listening, are aware because it's kind of an infamous story. But I will go through it. I'm going to read it as is written on the Wikipedia page for the production of this movie because it's, I think it's, it's very clear and very well written. So, whilst on production, on the production set, Seagal claimed that due to his Aikido training, which Seagal is very famously like an Aikido master, supposedly anyway, that's kind of, he was an Aikido master in Japan and did Aikido and ha- then had a studio in LA and that's supposedly where he was discovered because he had some big agent clients and, you know, studio head clients. Sure. But uh, so again, back to the story, Seagal claimed that due to his Aikido training, he was, quote, immune to being choked unconscious. It has been alleged that at some point, Gene LaBelle, who was a stunt coordinator for the movie and is also a very famous... He trained Bruce Lee in judo. Exactly. Yeah, I'm glad you're aware. Yeah, he's... Yeah, he's, Gene uh, LaBelle kicked Bruce Lee's ass on set at a movie. And nicknamed... Uh, he, uh, Bruce Lee literally couldn't out-muscle him because LaBelle would literally fireman's carry his ass and throw him around. Yeah. He was nicknamed the, the godfather of grappling. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> he's, he Gene LaBelle is who... Um, Wow, fucking Brad, Brad Pitt's, Pitt's character. character in, yeah, so he's based on. Yeah, from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Okay. Um, I wasn't aware of that, but yeah, as you said, Gene LaBelle, kind of a big dude in the judo, martial arts world, stunt <laughs> world. Um, so, okay, back to the story. So I think you oh, can no. tell where this is going. Um, oh, no. 
it has been alleged. And then I have another thing I'll pull up here that he confirmed it again in 2012. Uh, but it was alleged that at some point, Jean LaBelle heard about the claim and gave Seagal the opportunity to prove it. LaBelle <laughs> is LaBelle is set. LaBelle is said to uh, have placed his arms around Seagal's neck, and once Seagal said go, proceeded to choke him unconscious, with Seagal violently evacuating his bowels in the process. No fucking way. After refusing to comment for many years, LaBelle confirmed the story in 2012. Holy shit. Uh... So he shat himself. He, he was choked out and proceeded to shit himself. Um, and according to this other article I found where it's uh, LaBelle supposedly confirming it. Um, so, <laughs> so apparently Seagal had eaten an entire steak dinner <laughs> before this incident no. leading, leading to the, uh, the bowel evacuation. Um, and so, and LaBelle in 2012 said, well, if a guy soils himself, you can't criticize him because if they just had a nice big dinner an hour before, you might have a tendency to do that. Uh, in the interviews... Fucking judo Jean LaBelle, baby. That is so funny. In the interview, he goes on to kind of uh, say some niceties and say, you know, oh, Seagal's a good martial artist. Uh, I don't have anything against him. You know, but he says also, I don't think he's taught these mixed martial artists how to win a match. He's done a lot for martial arts, but I know uh, where I but I know where he's insulted uh, Randy Kocher, which apparently that's another mixed martial I've artist. Heard that name, yeah. um, and he says, well, if Randy Kocher, if he ever got mad, would have had him for lunch. And that isn't to put Steven down, but, quote, closed mouth, don't catch any foot. <laughs> So apparently, uh, just a LaBelle kind of confirming the, you know, everything about Seagal kind of talking big and not being able to follow through, in which specifically in this case, when he was choked out and shit himself. God, that's the best story I've ever heard. <sighs> yeah, uh, I, I tried to look more because I was like, you know, is there, was it documented on like what scene was before and what scene was after this shitting incident? Cause I wanted to be like, tell you like, and in between these scenes is when Steven Seagal shit himself. But uh, unfortunately I wasn't able to find it, but uh, you'll just have to imagine for, for yourself. Steven Seagal taking a big old uh, doo-doo dump in his pants. God, I love Judo Gene, man. He just like as a character is insane. Well, any thoughts on those uh, those facts, Austin? Man, I, I don't think I have many thoughts. Pretty I'm interesting like, just like, production. God, what what a fucking event this movie sounded like. Yeah, it was uh, the production, and I I left these out, but there's a couple other quotes from several different actors who were all like, "I had a terrible experience and would not want to work with Seagal again." Oh, <laughs> Apparently, it was just uh, not the best time on set for Out for Justice. So, that is kind of the rundown on the uh, history and facts of Out for Justice. All right, Austin, All right, on this 10th episode 
of our wonderful show with this movie that we both have a history with. Are you ready for me to jog your memory, take you down memory lane, history road, and explain the plot for Out to Justice? Oh, God, I'm so ready. All right, bud. So I want to point out that this movie opens with a black screen with text of an Arthur Miller quote. Arthur Miller, uh, the uh, play- famous playwright of such plays oh, as uh, as um, um, Death of a Salesman. A Didn't he write the fucking... No, yeah, just go ahead. I... De- well, the ones I'm... Uh, these are just two out of many, but uh, I most known for probably Death of a Salesman and The Crucible. The Crucible, um, that's the one I couldn't think also of. Also famously investigated by the uh, House on American... Um, what it was it house on american un-american activities because uh, you know supposedly you know being communist sympathizer oh, arthur yeah. miller so you know intellectual uh also i believe arthur miller was it am i i might be wrong but i'm pretty sure arthur miller was the person who was married to um marilyn monroe after joe dimaggio or before joe dimaggio i don't remember uh but anyway you know Highly regarded, prize-winning, you know, literarily revered playwright Arthur Miller quote at the beginning of Out for Justice. Um, and it's it's a quote about, like, uh, sort of division among the NYC neighborhoods and kind of like, you know, where you grow up, you know, you know, in your neighborhood in, in New York City, everyone on your block, you know their name and you know everything about them. But, you know, once you're outside the neighborhood, everyone's as good as a stranger. So kind of emphasizing, because this movie has a whole kind of theme and running running idea about, you know, old friends from the neighborhood and, you know, this uh, the kind of Brooklyn, you know, homegrown idea. So we okay. open on what I can only describe as a lively trash market. I don't know what this is supposed to be, but it's just like forklifts carrying around bales of trash, but it's not like a recycling center because it also seems like there are like stalls with people selling stuff, but it's just like, it's New York in the 90s, so you can't tell if it's an open air market or a literal trash dump. Um, I love that. I love that. So uh, at this lively trash market, uh... We have a uh, your kind of stereotypical pimp rolls up in his Cadillac. You know he's in his uh, his nice red bright um, shirt with a nice white suit and a fedora and cane. He's got the old he's got this classic uh, jacket on, but not his arms in it, just kind of draped over him like a cape. And he's real angry at uh, his uh, his employees, some of his girls, not paying him, and he's. Uh, He's about to get in a row with them because he's quite upset about not having his money. Uh, we cut and Steven Seagal and his partner, uh, Bobby, uh, they're both police officers. Um, they are sitting a- in a van kind of across the street on a stakeout and they're watching these events happen across the street. And they're kind of just talking about life and you know, Bobby's like, no, things are good now, everything's good. Uh, and you know, you know, this is where we first hear Steven Seagal's, uh, Italian Brooklyn accent. You know, it's very just like, Hey, you know, it's pretty good. And you know, it's Steven Seagal. And I don't know if you've seen other Steven Seagal stuff to remember this, but, uh, 
when Steven Seagal talks, it's always kind of like this. It's always like his mouth never opens all the way. It's always just yeah, like yeah. a, it, you know, it's like a little bit of a whisper. You know, man, uh, you know, I'll fuck you up. Uh, but in this he's one, gotta, he's got to be cool, you know. But in this one, you know, he's got a he's got a bit of an Italian accent, you know. Um, <laughs> so uh, we uh, see them staking this kind of this pimp out. Apparently, it's for like a big drug. I can't. I don't know if it was a drug or prostitution or you know combination. Some big kind of sting. But Steven Seagal is watching this pimp start to uh, really beat down on 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 the lady. And you know Steven Seagal, the noble hero that he is, he just can't stand uh, watching her get hit anymore. He um, he you know bursts out of the truck, runs off at his partner's behest. The partner's like shit and he's like all right everyone we got to move in now move in everyone else starts to move in it's like it's like a hundred cops for this like one pimp i'm not it's like a shit ton of people moving in on this guy well this cop famously always has a couple machine guns on him okay good uh so uh steven seagal um you know gets to the pimp he's really fucking like wailing on him um honestly that's cool uh yeah he he slings the pimp around a bit by like his tie uh Then, of course, everyone moves in, and they're like, you know, put your hands up. The pimp tries to make one final move, resulting in Steven Seagal throwing the pimp through the uh, windshield of the car, of his car, the pimp's car, in which case he falls, he crashes through the windshield. Steven Seagal is kind of framed by the broken glass, and that's when we get our freeze frame name, huge letters, Steven Seagal. Hell yeah. Fade to black, title card, out for justice. Oh, fuck, yeah. This is a strong start. Maybe the strongest start we've had so far. Mm-hmm. And it's just a complete non-sequitur, also. We never see the pimp or the girl again. It's just a it's a catalyst it's for... It's literally just character development for Steven Seagal. It's a like catalyst it's for... for his character. Yeah, it's catalyst for an ass-kicking and to show that Steven Seagal is, like, a moral, noble hero uh, who, who, you know, stands up for women and, and fights bad guys. So uh, after this, we go in and we see uh, we. This is when we are introduced to William Forsyth's character, whose name is Richie. Um, he's kind of like a, a mid-tier level kind of mafia mafioso guy. I write. I call him for the rest of the time in my notes, Dad Gangster, because he's he's sporting this look. <laughs> he's sporting this look in the movie that's very much. He's kind of a pudgy, larger fellow, and he's got like a little mustache and kind of, you know, some slick back kind of floppy hair. And he very much kind of looks just like someone's like dad, except that he's a crazy gangster who does crack. (laughs) But he like, there's a lot of cognitive like difference between how he looks and how he acts, which I kind of like, cause it's like, you know, he doesn't really look like a scary guy, but he's doing all this terrible stuff. So, uh, you know, we see him in a scene and he's kind of talking to his, uh, his, his men, his kind of underlings, talking about money and guns and how, you know, they're about to make their big move against someone. So next we see uh, Bobby, Steven Seagal's uh, partner. He's walking with his wife and kids um, down the street. Uh, his wife and kids go into a shop for groceries while he waits outside. Bobby, that is. And right. we see... Uh, Richie, dad gangster, uh, roll up with a bunch of his guys in a car, gets out of the car, just kind of nonchalantly uh, walks up to uh, 
walks up to an unsuspecting Bobby and just pumps him full of lead with a revolver, just blows him away. Really you know, just fucks him up. Huh? You know, I'm talking like at least about four or five squib explosions on Bobby here with, you know, real blood, you know, splattering. Um, and he walks up to him and he, uh, he, um, where, where, where would I go? Oh yeah. He shoots him. He spits on him. He kind of like curses him out and tosses a Polaroid picture on the body. Um, and then kind of just casually strolls off. It's really not the way that Richie goes about things in this movie as a villain. It's very like, he just doesn't give a shit. I mean, he's like high on crack the whole time. The character. So he's just like, yeah, he doesn't give a shit. He just kind of walks back to the car and they drive off. Um, damn. So, so yeah. And, uh, we have, unfortunately we have Bobby, the partner dying in the street. His wife obviously comes out and is, uh, quite sad about it. Meanwhile, we cut and Steven Seagal is uh, at home. Apparently it's his weekend of the month to, uh, take to, you know, see his, uh, child, his son, because his wife are currently going through a divorce. Um, and Steven Seagal at first is like, you know, tells the kid to do his homework. Um, but then he's like, um, then the kid asks him to go outside and play catch with him. So he agrees. Um, it was at this moment I, I specifically noted down, um, you know, again, this ridiculous accent, you know, Steven Seagal's like, do your homework, you know, kid, uh, you gotta, you gotta do your homework. Then we can go outside and have a catch. Okay. Uh, and, uh, also this is the iconic, (laughs) this is the first scene and we'll go the rest of the movie with him in it, even if we don't see it, because it does get covered up by a jacket, but this is the iconic uh, entrance of, of the vest outfit. And you, you know what I'm referring to. We don't have the beret yet because he's inside, I assume, but it is this, uh, shirtless, vest just vest over vest over vest over his muscles nothing but the vest and and like tracksuit pants uh you know or suede pants something of the sort and yeah it's uh it's just a straight up vest uh and we'll get into this more because it evolves as a costume in a minute as you implied with the beret um so uh this is when we cut back we see richie um, the bad guy, he's in his kind of hideout. Oh, no, he's in the car, actually. Sorry, they're still in the car. He's, he's smoking crack in the car. He's got his crack pipe. Um, this is when they're in traffic and a lady honks at their car. And so Richie literally just, like, gets out of the car, walks up to the lady, and puts the gun on her forehead and shoots her just because she Jesus. honked at them. Because, I mean, this is just trying to emphasize that Richie is just, like, fucking off the deep end in terms of, like, he doesn't give a shit. This isn't about, like, crime or anything. He's just, like, he's just strung the fuck out on crack, and he's got to kill and do whatever he wants. Um, This is back when um, uh, Steven Seagal at his house, he gets the call about Bobby, his partner, and obviously he's pulled away from his disappointed son, uh, on the one weekend, you know, he's supposed to take care of him. Uh, the son's sad, and he has to drop him off at the mother's house. But, you know, I gotta do... He doesn't say this, but it's something along the lines of, you know, I just gotta do this. Bobby's dead, you know. They killed Bobby. Uh, and so uh, <laughs> we have Steven Seagal pulling up at the crime scene of Bobby's death. And this, my friend, this is when we get the outfit, the oh, P- yeah. the Peter Resistance with we have Steven Seagal as mentioned, vest, no shirt, 
Now, though, he's also rocking some sort of beret. It's never established, like, why he has this beret or what it's for. It has, like, but, some kind of insignia on yeah, it. Yeah, it's, like it's like a beret you'd see a military person wearing. But, of course, again, this is supposedly a Brooklyn, New York cop who just has, like, he has, like, a, he has this vest, no shirt. Of course, again, he has this ridiculous, like, slicked back ponytail. He has a beret. He also has a gaudy giant, like, uh, metal cross necklace that oh, is, is just ex further accentuated by the vest and no shirt. Um, and then, of course, again, uh, he's in kind of like sort of tracksuit type pants, and we'll l later see him wearing the uh, tracksuit top over the vest. But just again, this man is supposed to be like a Brooklyn, New York detective, and he's wearing the most ridiculous outlandish outfit. What a fucking baller. Like, he really I mean, just doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm not going to lie. The fit goes hard. The fit yeah, goes I mean, hard. The no denying. Like, it is drip. It is drip. It is drip. And, you know, I I think, I for one think you could pull off the, the look, Austin. Oh, you think so? The, the out for justice look, signature look. You know look. what? I'm going to try it. Uh, so, yeah, just keep your eye out for vests and berets. Um, I'll be going to Google tomorrow. So uh, yeah, he gets to um, gets to the crime scene. The chief again, played by Jerry Orbach, kind of uh, you know, he's like you know, I want this by the book. You know, he's like, I know you're upset, Gino, but you know, I want this by the book. And and Steven Seagal, Gino is basically like, you know, no, I'm gonna find him. This is this is my duty. I'm gonna find him. Uh, and uh, he says specifically, this is a quote. He's a guy from the neighborhood. Oh, no, 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 sorry, sorry, never mind. I got that wrong. This is actually a scene with, with Gino and the, and the chief. I think another cop comes up or something, and we literally get the line from Jerry Orbach of, he's a guy from the neighborhood Gino and Bobby grew up with. Like, Jerry Orbach just says that straight, and it's very, like, exp like clearly exposition of, oh, like, good. you know, they just had to get that out there, so they yeah, just have Jerry just Orbach kind of just spit right it out. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's fun. Uh, then we have, um, here's Steven Seagal's line. He says, let me do it my way. Just give me an unmarked and a shotgun. So again, <laughs> Steven Seagal, Steven Seagal wants to handle this himself. It's his, you know, it, it's his partner dead. It's the guy, it's a guy he grew up with and was friends with from the neighborhood, from Brooklyn. He wants to do it his way. And, you know, apparently, you know, fuck fuck uh standards and process because jerry orbach is just like fine okay go ahead and, yeah, and there's um, a briefcase of shotgun shells too no i want to say that though austin i don't know where we got the image of a briefcase of sh or like a, ch a case of shotgun shells does this not actually happen because i did not see a sh case of shotgun shells we see him get the car we see him open the trunk of a police car and get a shotgun but i don't unless i somehow missed it but i was specifically looking out for it I feel like we must have fabricated this idea of was like this a, like a bit that we came up with a case of shotgun like, shells. We were just like, wouldn't it be ridiculous if Jerry Orbach was just like, okay, you know what? We know we can't stop you, so here's a case of shotgun shells. I, I don't know. At this point, it's been so long. I don't know, but it I mean, bit, it's I still just as ridiculous because the chief is just like, all right, fine, here you go, Gino. Here's a shotgun and here's an unmarked cop car. Go at it. <laughs> go yeah, wild, why bud. Not? Uh, fuck fucking wild, bud. And again, uh, I think uh, Jerry. Oh no, this is his wife has come to the scene. His wife is with the son there, and you know she's like, you know, 
why do you have to do this? Why can't you just let them handle it? And again, we, we, we get a, we get a great, you know, Italian accent line from Seagal of, uh, you don't know nothing about the neighborhood. Uh, and, oh uh, and, uh, again, the wife's like, just, you know, just come back safe and everything. And, uh, Seagal says, uh, um, he'll say, he says, I'll make it to the divorce meeting on time and in one piece. Uh, so, you know, he's a real what badass, he's man. a real badass dad, you know, classic, okay. classic. He's, he's a real inspiration for divorced men everywhere. Uh, I've always said that. Yes. It's well known about Steven Seagal. Uh, let's see from here. Uh, this, uh, and I want to say at this moment, a lot of this movie is just Steven Seagal going back and forth from about, about like a handful of locations, like five locations and talking, just like doing a thing, going and talking to someone, doing another thing, going back and talking to some, the same person, then going and doing a thing. Specifically, we are now introduced to Steven Seagal who, uh, calls and makes, and, and, uh, and calls and talks to some, like the mob guy, the, these guys who are with the mob, uh, in Brooklyn. And we're going to see Steven Seagal go and talk with these mob guys, fairly frequently um and so basically he talks to these mob guys tells them the situation um you know he kind of wants them to help catch richie uh this this he goes to the mob's kind of cafe um and he talks to the don uh you know the boss um basically he finds out that 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 richie is kind of he's a member he was a member of the mafia but he's kind of gone rogue like i said he's kind of gone off the handle and the Don is like, he's, he's making a bad name for us. He's bringing us, you know, he's putting us in hot water. He's going to, you know, he's going to ruin stuff for us. Um, and so the Don's like, I'll handle it. My men will teach him a lesson, uh, that kind of thing. But Steven Seagal is like, uh, no offense, but uh, I'll find him first. Uh, basically like, you know, thanks, but uh, I'm going to do this myself. Right, I'm Steven Seagal. I'm going to do this. Yeah. Um, so... Now we have a, a wonderfully random scene uh, of then Steven Seagal's driving down the street and kind of like this this clunky, trashy, like, hatchback pulls in front of him, uh, like, you know, filled with a bunch of shit. And the guy, the car, you know, this car in front of him just randomly throws a trash bag out the window. So Steven Seagal suddenly, like, kind of stops and pulls over because of it. Um, and he's, like, really pissed off at this guy. He's like, what a scumbag. Uh, and he goes, and apparently in this trash bag thrown out the car, he finds, like, a little, like... German Shepherd puppy. <laughs> like, this guy just threw a puppy in a bag out of his car window. Because for some reason he had a puppy in a trash bag. Um, and basically, Steven Seagal is like, Oh, hey puppy, I'm going to take you with me. And for the rest of the movie, I, it's just assumed it's shown a couple times. But, like, I feel like a lot of this movie, the puppy is just, like, you know, according to the continuity, is just, like, fucking sitting in his car. Which, like, <laughs> it's New York Good. and it's not, like, summer and a lot of this takes place at night. But, again, it's just, like, Steven Seagal just has this poor dog trapped in his car for the majority of his movie. Uh, and he also kind of um, uh, kind of vows vengeance and to beat up the scumbag who threw the dog out of the window if he ever sees the car again. Because it's, like, specific and has bumper stickers and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, at this point... We get a uh, Steven Seagal driving around, and we get a needle drop. We see the cops driving around looking for Richie. And, Austin, this movie takes place in Brooklyn, and it's in the 90s. What what needle drop do you think they play here? Oh, man. 
Is that something about like Run DMC or some shit? Is it is not Run DMC? You're close, but uh, a famous song about Brooklyn, and it's, that would have been existing in 1991. It's like the most stereotypical, like on the nose choice of a song. Oh God! Tell me. It's uh, the BC Boys' uh, "No Sleep, no sleep. Oh, Till Brooklyn." Get out of here! And you get it because it's set in Brooklyn. I oh yeah, I get and they're it. not sleeping because they're looking for Richie. Of course. So, um, and uh, this kind of this montage just makes 1991 Brooklyn just look like absolute dog shit. Like it looks like a fucking trash hole. Uh, <laughs> it's like I, a big toilet. And, the but whole like, city was a toilet back in my day. Th- the rest of the movie, it's like it's very much about how like you know how important this neighborhood is, and you know all these guys have like you know they're all connected and it means a lot. But it's like the movie like visually is just like making Brooklyn look like shit. Uh, there's this, uh, <laughs> Steven Seagal pulls up to this street child with a cooler, uh, who's like selling drinks on a street corner and he like talks to the kid. Cause apparently like this kid is his like informant kind of on the street. And he also buys a pack of seltzer water randomly. He's like, give me a pack of seltzer. Uh, so he just has really? like a six pack of seltzer water in his car. Um, and he's walking, he's, he keeps driving down the street, uh, uh, a sex worker approaches him and is like, hey, you want to fuck? And Steven Seagal has, like, the weirdest reaction to getting asked, want to fuck? He just, like, starts, ha, 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 He, like, laughs his fucking ass off in the car. And he, like, pulls up, to, he pulls down the street to some bums. And he's like, do you hear what she asked me? <laughs> she, she, I want to fuck. And it's like, why is he so, like, amused by getting asked if he wants to fuck? Yeah, like, what's I, so, I, I don't get the joke. That? I don't get the joke in this scenario. It's almost as if, the, the notion of Steven Seagal wanting to have sex is just, like, a foreign, hilarious concept to him, Steven apparently. Steven Seagal, known asexual ally. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, I have to do say, this movie is very bone dry. It's not a very horny movie in the slightest. Oh, really? It's a bone dry movie. There's, All like, right. one scene of romance that I'll get to later, uh, but, like, besides that, it's a bone dry. <laughs> um, so... Then we have uh, Steven Seagal kind of, he just happenstance comes along uh, Richie doing like a kind of hiring some goons, some muscle, uh, and which resulting in a uh, car chase. Uh, And it's a solid car chase. As I wrote down here, you know, kind of there in parallel uh, lanes of traffic, Steven Seagal's car specifically kind of driving through the road slash spaces under like an overpass for a for a train and Richie kind of on the opposite side of the road out from under the pass and they're kind of just you know racing to try to cut each other off sort of a deal as I wrote here it's a testament to late 80s suspension and durability in cars oh yeah absolutely <laughs> specifically these uh I I know Seagal's one is like a Chevy something like just you know big boxy yeah. 80s car these things are like specifically Seagal that car is just fucking dipping and jumping up because it is like uneven road uh in this car chase we get plenty of what I like to call cop drifting which I think you know what I mean where it's like they drift around a corner and I swear to god the uh, back end of the car is about one inch away from going out from behind them oh the coolest shit ever the, that kind of drifting um, again uh, the uh, Richie's car uh, kind of goes forward and like squeezes in between a, a semi truck 
and like the loading dock right as Steven Seagal's behind him. Um, but Steven Seagal gets the truck to move and he follows in fast pursuit. So uh, Richie is like, we haven't lost him yet. Let's take him for some pork chops. Uh, so basically Richie and the goons pull up to a butcher shop and they have like a bunch of like machetes and knives, obviously, because it's a butcher shop, but also like ammo that Richie takes and uses, loads up his gun with and loads his pockets with. Um, and so Richie and, and, and the, most of the men kind of go out the back door to escape and then they leave a couple of men behind to uh, ambush Steven Seagal. So then Steven Seagal pulls up to this butcher shop. He confidently strides in. Like, you know that uh, you know that gif of uh, Vince McMahon of WWE, like, aw- like doing that weird walk? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Very much like in that vein of just like awkward, like large stride in. But Steven Seagal strides into this butcher shop unarmed even though he's in a chase with a known, like, murderous criminal and his thug, like, goons. But for some reason, Steven Seagal walks in, gun nowhere to be seen. Good. So, that's an interesting choice. Hmm. Obviously leading to a, uh, you know, this obviously leads to a, uh, you know, showcase of Steven Seagal uh, fist fighting and stuff with all these guys. He's immediately attacked by a guy wielding uh, a butcher knife, uh, which he redirects into the guy's own leg. Uh, Smart. That's a good move. Yeah. Uh, I learned that in culinary school. I wrote down here that I know, I, I guess I hadn't remembered or hadn't noticed this when we watched it originally, or maybe it was a case of, like I said, not being really that exposed to action movies, but I noticed this time, and I wrote this down, Steven Seagal, like, moves so slow. And he do- first off, he doesn't move a lot. A lot of his fighting, it's very stationary. Like, the guys just come to him. But Classic then when, when he does move, he's, like, he's not agile or quick at all. Like, he does not look like, he's not, like, I don't know. It's, like, it's not impressive the way he fights. It's very, like... Uh, kind of oafish, <laughs> to put like it bluntly. He, like he put all his his points into like strength and charisma, and none into agility. Yeah, it's like all like all the muscles and stuff are all just like show muscles. And when it comes to actually like you know like a lot of these actors around the time were actually quite agile. You know, I want to say specifically like John Claude Van Damme. Was oh, absolutely was famously nice like a kickboxer who could do a bunch of shit. You know the he split, split between two trucks. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Steven Seagal. He does not. He he he. We'll see going forward. A lot of these fight scenes are him not moving as much as possible or moving very slowly. So uh, moving slowly, Steven Seagal. Um, where was I? Shit. Uh, here we go. Steven Seagal knees one guy in the crotch, and this is the first crotch shot of the movie, which is going to happen several times. Steven Seagal does not hold any sacred off-limits with the crotch. He will knee and kick a guy in the balls. Uh, He has no honor. So, uh, he knees a guy in the crotch. He, like, stops a guy with a butcher knife and then, like, chops slash pins that guy's hand with the butcher knife to the wall. Like, chops through the guy's hand and then, like, pins him to the wall with the butcher knife, which is a pretty, uh, yeah, pretty brutal, uh, a f- nice practical effect. Um, and then he grabs, like, a giant, like, sausage link off the wall and then uses that to, like, beat the shit out of a guy. 
And then um, basically he like uh, he goes up to the guy behind the counter and is like, where's Richie? And he like threatens him and all this. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the uh, the mob boss, the Don, he's really pissed off and upset because uh, um, Richie's kind of crime spree is unintentionally bringing like the hammer and the ire on the mob's operations. So we really, you know, understand that the mob is out to uh, take care of Richie as well because it's uh, not good for them either. So uh, then we have a great scene, uh, just, just no real point other than to continue this strange dog subplot of uh, Steven Seagal going into a store and buying dog food. Uh, he asked. Mm. He asked the clerk, "Like, you guys got any dog food?" And the guy's like, "Yeah, we have all this." And then Steven Seagal's like, "None of this stuff is from Jersey, cause I don't want nothing radioactive." Cause what? I guess, like, you know, New Jersey is dirty. Joke. Like Even a, though, like, okay. Brooklyn looks like a piece of shit in this movie. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's an attempt at a joke, but it's Steven Seagal, so it doesn't work. Um, no comedic timing. None. Uh, yeah. Uh, so then we have. Um, Basically, uh, where are we? Um, shit. Is this when... No, this is a different scene. Uh, he, Steven Seagal, uh, Gino goes and talks again, not with the Don of the mob, but he has, like, his friend is one of, like, the lead, like, underlings of the mob, and he basically talks with his friend about, like, you know, I'm not one of you guys, you know, you might think I am, but I'm not, I'm a cop. And the guy's like, you know how many crooked cops we have on our payroll? And Richie's like, yeah, I guess you're right. Then they kind of just remiss about the world. And, uh, you know, Steven Seagal says, uh, he's like, I care because all this is personal. He explicitly states that's the reason why he cares about this. He's not doing his duty as a cop or anything. He's like, he only cares about taking down Richie because it's like a personal issue of his friend dying and Richie also being a former friend. So nice to know that, that uh, this cop just doesn't give a shit about the public at all. Uh, and it's purely personal reasons. Um, we have a bunch of the mob guys show up, including this friend of Gino show up at this pool hall that is owned by um, Richie's brother. And they kind of show up here and threaten Richie's brother and is like, we're going to come back later and you better know where he is or, you know, we're going to put the hurt on you. Uh, yeah. I'm going to put the hurt on you. Basically. I mean, the mob in this movie are like... I mean, it was before The Sopranos, so I, I, I'm going to not use Sopranos. I'm going to use, you know, it's like someone it, it's like someone watched Goodfellas or The Godfather and just tried to do the most, like, it is the most stereotypic, like, Italian mob guys uh, and it's mob like, boss. It's not even trying to be, like, anything but the stereotype. It's like how I, uh... It's like how you and I do Italian accents. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like doing a bit of, like, you know what Italian mobsters are like. Uh, so Steven Seagal, Gino, uh, goes and he, uh, he goes to Richie's parents' apartment because again, they all know each other. They all grew up together. So he goes to Richie's elderly parents. Basically he's like, you know, where's Richie? And you know, the mother's crying and the father's like begging him, please don't kill our son. Don't kill Richie. And, um, and he's like, too late. I'm already going to do it. Basically, uh, he says, as I say here, as I wrote down, he says, he says, Stephen's goes like, and, you know, the father's like, uh, 
what 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 can we do? What can he do? What can we do to uh, not not to be able to not be killed by you? And Steven Seagal says, uh, uh, "How I?" Uh, he says, "Tell him, tell him to get a lawyer and turn himself in. If not, I'm gonna kill him." Nice. So uh, at this moment. moment, I also wrote down. At this point, Steven Seagal has covered up the uh, vest with like kind of like a like a, a sweatsuit jacket, a windbreaker type jacket. Okay. And okay. in this scene it. specifically. Uh, he's like kind of facing directly towards the camera, uh, a, a little bit of an angle, but talking to the parents. But while he's doing so, the zipper, he has it zipped up all the way and the little metal zipper on the jacket is just like swinging like back and forth and catching the light exactly. So no. it's really distracting because it's just like this flashy zipper like s- dangling and swinging there while he's talking. And all my mind is going to is, fuck, that zipper is really distracting. Um, no. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, he tells him basically, unless Richie turns himself in, I'm going to kill him. Uh, then we see Richie, uh, kind of go to these, uh, I guess there's, they're implied that they're like former, uh, sex workers and Richie's like, uh, you know, kind of harasses them and is like, you know, where have you been? I haven't seen you guys. And, uh, you know, the, the main girl is like, you know, I got a job. I'm working at a video store now, you know, uh, and Richie's like, he's like, what? You're not, you know, you're not working anymore. You're really going to say no to me? And Richie says, like, kind of at, at the girls, you know, saying she's gone straight, sort of. Richie says the quote, what are you, uh, Nancy fucking Raybush? Which I think is a really funny joke. Like, in, instead of Nancy Reagan, Nancy Raybush. So it's like a combination oh of Barbara Bush and Nancy Reagan. Uh, I don't know, just calling, calling someone, like, who, like, in your eyes is, like, being, like, you know, stuck up calling them Nancy Ray fucking Nancy fucking Ray Bush. That's uh, I, I, a solid line in my book, anyway. Um, so, uh, now, though, Steven Seagal uh, gets to the pool hall we saw the mob in earlier. Of Ooh, course, wait. he gets there. Is this the scene with the sock? Uh, yes. Hold, yeah, I'll get to that in just a second. So, he gets to the pool hall, and... Um, he is just, like, really laying... Of course, again, Richie's brother is there. And Steven Seagal's trying to, you know, where's Richie? Where's Richie? And he's really he really starts to lay into everyone at the pool hall because they're all kind of, you know, they know he's a cop, so everyone's kind of hesitant to, like, jump into fighting him. So, so to but at this point, uh, Gino, Richie, uh, Gino, Steven Seagal is really just kind of, like, trying to goat them into fighting him. And to do so, he's just, like, fucking ragging on him. And I wrote down one specific string of insults that I thought was really entertaining. He goes, uh, he's a chicken shit pussy asshole. (laughs) Which, uh, yeah, this whole movie, it said on IMDb that they use fuck like 114 times in this movie, uh, which is a lot pretty for a movie. Uh, That's significant, yeah. But, like, yeah, Steven Seagal is just, like, calling people, like, these strings of, like, insults the whole movie. And it's really funny just, like, how he, like, fucking just throws them out. Like, you motherfucking fuck-ass piece of shit. Fuck you. Uh, and uh, so he calls him that. He causes a scene. He, like, knocks stuff off the bar. And he's, like, pushing people around and breaking shit. Uh, he picks up someone's hot dog that they're eating. And he's like, whose hot dog is this? Uh, he's just causing a ruckus. He doesn't give a fuck, huh? He doesn't. And so, he finally, like, the bartender's like, 
has all this boxing stuff back behind the bar. And he's like, that was my, Steven Seagal's like, whose shit is this? And he's like, that was mine. And Steven Seagal's like, oh, you think you can fight? And basically, uh, unprovoked, uh, Steven Seagal just like punches the shit out of the bar. This like old bartender. He's like an older guy. Just like Jesus. beats the shit out of him. And like one punch knocks him out. Just like a, one solid punch drops him. Uh, and then he, um, takes, he takes his gun, shoots one off in the air to kind of like, you know, scare people. And, but then everyone in the bar is like, oh, if it weren't for that badge and that gun, you know, you wouldn't be so brave. And then Steven Seagal's like, oh yeah, really? And he takes his gun out, like, uh, releases the, the, uh, the, um, you know, I don't know what the term is, clip, releases the clip, just lets it drop to the floor, unloads the bullet from the chamber, sets his gun down. He holds up his badge and he's like, there's the gun and the badge, you know, I'll give you that one. I can't do anything with it. I, I can't get rid of it. Um, but so he's like, he, he, he basically like unarms himself to like prove a point at this point, And I, I want to point out, it's not a sock. We were wrong about that. He grabs the bar towel that the bartender had over his shoulder. Oh, it definitely definitely thought it was a tube sock well it, it makes sense why because he he you know you would think you know you drop the ball in the cube the uh, the tube sock um yeah, but yeah. what he does is he puts the ball in the uh bar towel and then like spins the towel around to like wrap it up really tight so then it's like like mm, it's enclosed okay. in it but yeah it is the bar towel um with the cue ball uh, this is after he's been kind of just like ominously like bouncing the cue ball on the ground and then catching it <laughs> which like that's terrifying yeah um so this is i would expect it to break but yeah so immediately right away he knocks this one big burly dude with tattoos knocks a bunch of this guy's fucking teeth out they like splatter and hit the pool <laughs> table uh and then this is when you know he beats a bunch couple other guys with the pool cue uh like you know flail or whatever you want to call it or not pool cue uh cue ball flail uh this is when the guy I mentioned earlier who fights with, like, the fighting sticks kind of jumps down. He's got, like, two pieces of, uh, of pool cue, and he uses them as fighting sticks. Steven Seagal fights him. You know, he first has a full pool cue, then it splits in half, so then he's fighting the guy with two parts as well. You know, same kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, then um, he kicks another guy in the balls. <laughs> another ball oh no this one wasn't a kick this one was a punch he punches a guy in the balls because like a guy jumps up on the pool table to like attack him like jump on him he punches that guy in the balls uh he um knocks out a guy and sends him like flying into the back of the bar like shattering all the glasses and so then he's like tell your brother i'm gonna cut off his head and piss down his throat how, how many times did you say they said fuck like 114, I want to say. Damn, that puts it, like, close to the South Park movie that has the world record for it. It's a lot. I mean, it was enough that they put it on the IMDb trivia. Um, so, yeah, then he's, like, his final line, which is great, as I just said, tell your brother I'm going to cut off his head and piss down his throat. <laughs> which is just, like, again, just like, Jesus Christ, these fucking I've insults. Said to, I've said that to coworkers. Yeah. So, you know, say what you will about Steven Seagal's fighting ability, but a uh, man knows how to throw out a throw out an insult. I want to see him and Fletcher from Whiplash go at it. Yeah, that would be good. Uh, let's get Steven Seagal and J.K. Simmons in a film together. 
Um, so then we have a little montage of kind of the police, like raiding a bunch of the uh, mobs, um, businesses and operations as for mentioned, because Richie has kind of like brought attention to it. And so the mobs kind of indirectly getting fucked because of it. I specifically wrote down and wanted to point out that one of the places they um, attack is a like a strip club. But I swear to God, all of the like male extras like they're like patronizing the strip club are all like balding dudes, like dudes with like balding hairlines, which is really funny. And I don't think intentional, but just an interesting detail. What are the odds? Um, So uh, Steven Seagal basically goes back. And him and the mob are just, like, going around town, questioning people, trying to find out where Richie is. Um, back, we ha- we're back in the car with Richie and his goons. They're driving around. And there's this weird, like, 30-second non-sequitur where one of the goons just talks about, like, how he has this mouse in, in his apartment. And he can't get rid of him. It's really out of nowhere. <laughs> it's now out of nowhere, never brought up again. And Richie eventually is just like, shut the fuck up about a mouse. Uh, and I'm tired of hearing about your fucking rat problem. Oh, yeah, it was a mouse. Um, Steven Seagal has another meeting at like a nice restaurant with the mob boss, the Don, and basically Steven Seagal. He at this point he kind of get he puts he gives up with his like facade of being like kind and respectful to the mob boss, and he's like I don't give a fuck. Uh, he disses the Don and basically is like I'm not I'm nothing like you guys. I'm an honorable man. Uh, and you know, the kind of underling guy who's friends with Steven Seagal is like, why you can't talk to him like that. Why'd you do that? Gino? And then Steven Seagal tells this long rambling story about like fucking bunch of stupid Italian shit from when he was a kid in the Brooklyn neighborhood. Who gives something, a shit? Something, yeah. Something, it, it, it goes nowhere. I mean, he might as well be telling saying mama mia spaghetti pie the whole time. Yeah, uh, yeah. Richie and the goons show up to, like, a kind of, like, a chop shop mechanic where they're, I'm assuming, like, doing stuff to stolen cars. Uh, the, the owner of which is, like, this guy in a wheelchair. Uh, and then, let's see. Um, Richie goes and talks to, or not Richie, Gino, Steven Seagal goes and talks with Richie's sister, who's, like, the owner of this nightclub. And she says, he's like, so how you doing? Are you, uh, you still, you know, can you still do, you know, are you still in the game? And she's like, I can still get it wet, which is just, uh, that's a great line. And then she's Mm. like, then Steven Seagal says, I'm surprised you can still eat with that mouth. Uh, (laughs) And then basically he like manhandles her up into her office of the nightclub, trashes the fuck out of her office because she doesn't know where Gina or where Richie is. And he arrests her on like, shitty false pretenses uh he doesn't he takes her down to the station and throws her in like general population uh like at the station like the drunk tank and he doesn't read her her rights and he even is like um he gets like another cop to corroborate his like fake charge he's like hey hey richardson you ever seen this girl you know work in the corner and richardson's like all the time she only charges ten dollars and she's like that's bullshit because it is and seagal's like see uh ten dollars i really thought you could get more for that so basically he's like fuck you i could charge you with prostitution even if you haven't done it which is, you know, right. what a great hero moment. Um, really cool thing to brag about as a cop. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, meanwhile, um, at the mechanic, you know, 
the uh, the uh, wheelchair mechanic guy kind of ends up asking. They're kind of all like teasing him and taunting him, and he ends up asking Richie like, "So why did you do it, Richie? Why did you kill Bobby? You know, was it was it business or something personal?" And this kind of makes uh, Richie mad. He's like, "Why do you care about my personal business?" And uh, at this same moment, the uh, the cops. I guess because it's like an illegal operation are just happening to move in on the mechanic. But Richie thinks he's been set up. So he like fucking shoots the wheelchair guy and they escape through the they, they go up to the roof and they kind of run across the roofs and escape. Meanwhile, um, so <laughs> let's see what what is this? Um, oh, yeah. Meanwhile, at the police station, Steven Seagal is kind of he's realized maybe something was up here with Bobby because he got a note from like a random cocktail waitress at the club. He went to, you know, arrest the sister at um, with like just a random woman's name. So he's kind of gotten suspicion that maybe Bobby was into something and that's why he got killed. So he goes and he like looks in Bobby's desk where he finds like a comically large, like I'm talking like one of the big Ziploc bags, like a gallon Ziploc bag yeah, size yeah. of cocaine in, in his desk at the police station. Just like a fucking giant ass bag of cocaine. Um, and he also finds like, you know, giant stacks of money as well as like Polaroid pictures of Bobby like sleeping with, uh, you know, sexy pictures Bobby took of himself with um, some like uh, sex workers. So meanwhile, um, this is when uh, Richie's dad, who we met earlier, who pleaded like, don't kill him, uh, comes to the station and basically tells Steven Seagal like, you know, he's basically like, I understand what you have to do. Um, you know, go ahead, but I'm not, I'm not going to tell you where he is, but I understand what you have to do, uh, Gino. And, you know, Steven Seagal is like, thank you. You know, I have to lock you up for the night though. You know that, right? And so, you know, even though he hasn't done anything really, Steven Seagal locks up this old man who like literally like he tells a story about how the old man like gave him money as a child because his family wasn't, didn't have enough money and stuff. And yet here he is locking up the old man. Um, what a dickhead. Yeah, so uh, at one point, I want I can't remember who, but uh, I think it's um, I think it's the sister to Richie. She says like, you know, Richie's gonna or no, Steven Seagal tells the sister like, you have to tell me where he is. He's probably he, he at this point he's like gonna kill anyone, including you. And she's like, but I'm his sister. And and Steven Seagal's like, that much crack prevents rational thought, which is a really funny line, which like accurate but nice funny line. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just funny. That much crack prevents rational thought. It's a good line. Thanks, Steven Seagal. Um, (laughs) meanwhile, Steven Seagal goes back out to his car and he like picks up the dog in the car and he's like, Hey, I almost forgot about you. And then again, leading us to believe that the whole time, the, since the last time I brought the dog up, apparently the dog has just been fucking sitting around in Steven Seagal's like unmarked patrol car, uh, which is great. Just that poor fucking dog. Jesus Christ. Um, so this, this point, Steven Seagal stops by his, uh, his ex-wife's house. He sits down, has, this is when he tells the story about how the old man he just put in jail, Richie's father, like, you know, used to give him money because his family was poor. Um, so, you know, more Italian story time. Uh, at this point, the car that, that, uh, that Richie and his goons stole when they were escaping, um, the mechanic place has a police scanner in it. So they hear over the police scanner that um, 
excuse me, uh, they hear over the police scanner that um, Steven Seagal is on his way. Um, where are we? Oh, yeah. We hear that Steven Seagal is going to... Um, I think this is when Steven Seagal goes to... Rich, no, where... Fuck, I'm trying to figure out where I am. Um, sort it out. I'm figuring it out. I know at this point, R- Richie and his guys are like, here, Steven Seagal's going somewhere. Steven Seagal... Um, what, when does this happen? He, he goes... He goes and gets ambushed trying to, like, investigate somewhere. I don't remember where... And all I remember is he ends up pushing an unarmed man out of a window. Because the unarmed guy's like, what, I'm unarmed now, are you going to shoot me? And, and, and Steven Seagal's like, no, I'm going to do this. And he fucking, like, tackles him and pushes him out a window. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, the mob goes back to the pool hall. This is after Steven Seagal's beaten the shit out of all of them. They harass the brother again, um, specifically using the oldest mob enforcer I've ever seen in anything. Like, you know how in movies, normally the mob enforcer is like some big muscly, you know, or fat guy or something. This dude is like legitimately like a 65 year old man with glasses. Uh, But they don't get any information out of him. So I don't even know why it's in there. Uh, It's just the brother going, I don't know where he is. Uh, Steven Seagal goes back to that same nightclub that he was at. He harasses a waitress about the location of Richie's girlfriend. He eventually gets it. And then um, uh, he kind of takes the uh, this waitress hostage with him while he goes to investigate the girlfriend's apartment. Uh, this is when um, Richie goes finally Richie arrives at the pool hall he harasses his brother about you know not taking out Gino when he was there beating up everyone uh you know specifically shooting him with the gun behind the bar and you know Richie's basically like you're a pussy uh you know get out of my sight Uh, and the brother's like you know he's a cop though I was scared at which point uh Richie says the great line you mistake me for someone who gives a shit oh just cuts Ooh, through him, deep. basically tells the brother, like, fuck off, you're a pussy, I don't want you around anymore. And so the brother leaves uh, while Richie, like, you know, collects a couple of the guys from the bar to, like, you know, fill out his goon squad again. Um, at which point, as they're, like, in the pool hall, the mob shows back up to the pool hall to, like, you know, see him. Uh, at which point, Richie, dual-wielding revolvers along with his goons, just, like, shoots the ever-loving shit out of the mob guys as they're coming down the stairs. Uh, not the main mob guys, but just a bunch of, like, mob henchmen. Uh, this is when Steven Seagal then breaks into Roxanne, who was um, uh, Richie's girlfriend, apparently, his apartment. He uh, has the shotgun at this point, just, like, fucking waving the shotgun around. Um, Incredible. Uh, he finds Roxanne, this girlfriend. She's dead. Uh, she's been killed in the bed. And he also apparently before she looks like she's been dead long enough that she was killed first before Bobby, the partner was even killed. And he finds all these Polaroids scattered around the room that kind of makes him put together the puzzle pieces. Cause apparently he found that Polaroid from Bobby with the prostitutes, um, in the desk. And we saw the one get tossed on the bodies on his, on, when Bobby got shot, we saw the one get tossed on his body, but when all the cops showed up, that picture was gone. But now he's found the one in the desk. Now he finds all the ones at this apartment that show the partner was banging not only 
Richie's girlfriend, this Roxanne, but also this waitress girl from the nightclub. And that's why Bobby was killed. So, uh, meanwhile, and so he specifically, um, oh, I know what it was earlier. It was when, when he got ambushed and pushed the guy out the window, it's because I believe he went to the, um, Bobby's girlfriend's house. Um, and, uh, he, Bobby's girlfriend revealed that she hid the photo, um, of Bobby with the prostitutes oh, that was shit. left on the body. Cause she was like, I didn't want him to be, you know, shamed in his death, that kind of thing. So, you know, now Richie or now, uh, Gino has put together all the pieces of why Bobby was killed by Richie. Cause it's, it's a classic scenario of Bobby banging, uh, Richie's girl. So, and getting into drugs and all that stuff. So meanwhile, the, our, our kid informant, um, goes and sees, uh, while he's just happening to like be in his neighborhood, sees Richie and a bunch of his guys roll up to, um, the girl that got called Nancy Raybush, that girl, they roll up to her house. The kid informant sees it, gets on the phone and contacts Steven Seagal. Um, meanwhile, uh, so he gets that call. He goes, he arrives there. So it's ready for our final showdown. Steven Seagal, as he's entering the house, like he's like holding the shotgun, trying to like sneakily move around. But there are some times that he's just walking around holding this shotgun with one hand. And I'm like, there's no way that if you shoot that it is not going to fucking fly off in one direction because there's no way you can control a shotgun one handed. Steven Seagal. Yeah, no, it's not possible. Um, so he's like going in. He basically ambushes all these guys in the house, hands up, but one guy under the table already has a gun. So Steven Seagal gets shot kind of just like in the arm, but it's just like a not doesn't affect him because he's Steven Seagal. Uh, he shoots all these guys, fucking blows them away with the shotgun. He literally shoots one of the guy's legs in half. It's a really Yo. great effect. Like, fr- like basically like calf down just gets like fucking blown off the guy's leg. Uh, and the guy, you just hear the guy screaming like, ah, my leg, you, you blew my leg off my, you made my leg come off. Ah." Um, Steven Seagal fucking kicks a guy that he literally just like hits a wall and falls over with his eyes open, alluding to he's dead. So Steven Seagal fucking kicked a guy that he died so hard that he died. Uh, basically, um, he takes out all these goons, shoots them all. And now it's the big fight, Steven Seagal, uh, and Richie. He throws Richie around. They kind of fight their way across the apartment. Uh, the girls have gotten out safe at this point. Uh, you know, basically, Steven Seagal, Gino, is is really beating the shit out of Richie. He's Richie's very much outmatched. He's just having the shit beat out of him. Uh, you know, Richie at this point is just grabbing for anything he can to defend himself, like a rolling pin and a frying pan. And you just, but Gino just keeps like you know stopping it, deflecting it, grabbing the thing, and hitting Richie in return. Uh, at this point, we see the mob guys roll up outside, and then finally, and kind of one last attempt, Richie, just out of his mind, high on crack, grabs a corkscrew, tries to stab Steven Seagal. Steven Seagal redirects it and just fucking firmly plants that thing into Richie's head. Richie slumps over dead. 
the mob guys come in and they're like, what's going on? Steven Seagal is like, don't worry about it. And he kind of like takes the gun from the mob guy kind of to say like, don't worry about it. He's dead. But, in, but then kind of Steven Seagal like tricks him, takes the mob guy's gun and just pumps a fuck ton of like the whole clip into Richie, even oh, though he's, cl- yeah. he's clearly dead. He just pumps a whole clip from this handgun into him. Dude, that's like in Pacific Rim where they kill the one kaiju in Hong Kong. And then he's like, you know, I'm pretty sure it's dead, but let's check for a pulse. And then they just, like, empty a whole charge of the plasma cannon to the corpse of the kaiju on the dock. Yeah, yeah. It's just, like, spewing, like, flames and shit. Yeah. So, fucking, that's it. Richie's dead. Day is saved. Fade out. Fade in. Kind of a last little scene. Richie and his wife, they seem to have rekindled their romance. They're, they're on good terms. They're hanging out. They're walking along the boardwalk at Coney Island. And suddenly... Uh, the wife kind of gets like bumped by this guy who's like, watch it, lady. And they wa- Steven Seagal turns around and sees the guy walk up to his car. And it's the same car that tossed the dog out of it earlier. Oh, remember that? And the- so oh, yeah. and he happens to be wa- with the wife right now and walking the dog. Um, so Steven Seagal basically goes over and is like, hey, you tossed the dog out of this car. The guy's like, what if I did? Get off my fucking back. Uh, Steven Seagal, one final kick in the balls uh, to this the guy who throws the dog out of the car and walks off with his wife in hand. The dog comes up and pees on the, uh, the guy who just got kicked on the ground. Incredible. The dog pees on him, uh, except that it's obviously fake. Like the way the dog, like so they definitely just like had the dog trained to like, kind of go up and like put his paws on the guy, but like it's from a behind angle. So they just overlaid like a peeing sound, uh, and roll credits over just random clips from the movie we just watched, just literally like the same clips we just saw. Like a recap? I mean, sort of, but not. Re- I don't know. It's just like random clips from the movie over the credits, and then finally freeze frame on Steven Seagal's face. What the hell? And that's out for justice. I need to watch this again because it. So much of that sounded so unfamiliar. No sleep till. <laughs> So, Austin, now is out for justice. We're already running long today, but I don't think it's a problem. It's episode 10. It's a special episode. So I think it's fine if we're a little long. What did you think of my recap of Out for Justice? Yeah, I mean, it sounds good. I, I just, um, it really felt very unfamiliar. Like, I don't remember a lot of that. What, what, were, what were some of the things that I explained during the plot that really did stand out? Uh, well, just the fact that it was like, not a sock that he put the cue ball in yeah yeah um or the fact that we made up a briefcase of ammunition which is like the funniest thing yeah i i can't believe we made that shit up that's so great yeah but i mean it's still very ridiculous i mean he does beat up a bunch of guys using a pool cue wrapped in a piece of cloth as like a as like a fucking melee fucking flail Uh, or not a pool cue he's a cue ball uh and he does he is just fucking given free reign by his chief jerry orbach uh, via a shotgun in an unmarked car which is still great um it's the coolest shit in the world honestly yeah um, you know, watching it back, I, I do have to say it did not hold up. I mean, I still was very entertained. Don't get me wrong. I was entertained and had a 
hell of a time, a fun time watching it uh, and explaining it right now. But I will say, in terms of just an act of, of action and filmmaking, definitely didn't. I mean, filmmaking, you know, it's serviceable, but the action uh, definitely not as uh, exciting or fun as I remembered it. A lot yeah. more uh, a goofy in a lot of ways. As I said, Steven Seagal's kind of, you know, slow moving stationary fighting style uh not helping in that with in the slightest but right it's still a solid fun cheesy action movie uh you know like i said car chases plenty and you know that one car chase is great you know you have you know real guns firing blanks and squibs people exploding with blood uh which is great you know a couple that that guy getting his leg blown off in the finale absolutely beautiful it's a fucking great effect and a great shot um you know i mean you know if you know normally we kind of touch on sort of sort of themes of stuff but i don't know if this really this movie has more of a theme beyond like you know i don't know some weird kind of amalgamation of thoughts about like people from brooklyn they they're 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 close they all know each other and you know sometimes people grow apart as the years go by subtlety is not this movie's no And yeah, no, knowing that the script was taken and rewritten so that like basically the only thing intact from the original writer is the plot. Uh, knowing most of this is by Steven Seagal, I'm not surprised. Uh, yeah, I mean, if anything, theme wise, even though it's not intended, it's just that like, even though he's supposed to be the hero, like Steven Seagal's character in this movie, the cop is just like, he's just a real piece of shit. Like he's yeah, not a good surprised. person. He, he explicitly states he's only doing all of this just because it's personal. He fucking arrests and, and beats and harasses people. I mean, it, it, he's kind of a sounds real like piece a normal, of shit. Sounds like a normal day in the uh, in the life of a New York police officer. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, kudos for uh, for believability. Yeah, right. Fuck. He he's except for the fact that he's a fucking the, everything he wears and how he looks in this movie. That I don't think I don't think you're allowed to wear a sleeve, a shirtless vest and a beret when on you when you're in the NYPD. Um. <laughs> Any th- what else, Austin? Any thoughts on this? An out for justice? God, I, I'm just satisfied. You know, I'm just. I need to watch this again. Yeah, uh, it's. I mean, I. If anything stands out, I will say uh, William Forsyth as Richie as our bad guy. He's very entertaining. He's very. He plays like you know, fucking out of his mind, cracked up. You know, mob guy really well. Uh, he's very entertaining and I can see why some stuff might've been had to cut out. Cause I definitely could see him overstate, you know, upstaging, uh, Steven Seagal if he had more screen time. Uh, I guess, I guess if I had to leave a complaint, Jerry Orbach's really not in it that much. He's in like a couple scenes. I wish he was in it more. Uh, yeah, honestly, I'm a big fan of Jerry Orbach in every scene, but again, Again, it's Steven Seagal. So Steven Seagal probably has a fucking writer on his contract that it's like uh, the supporting actors can only have this many scenes in a movie. Yeah, right. Like, so I they don't upstage more me. lines than anyone. Would not surprise me one bit if that was a thing in his contract. Yeah, it'd make perfect sense. Uh, so, yeah, definitely a lot of, you know, fun, cheesy, stupid action movie with all of Steven Seagal's, uh, you know, Lack of nuance in his ridiculous Brooklyn, New York Italian accent. Yeah, I'm Brooklyn, I'm Steven Seagal. Yeah, um, and then of course, as we said, all that great behind-the-scenes stuffs. 
Uh, specifically, Steven Seagal getting choked out and shitting his pants. Uh, yeah, that's that's it. That's out for justice. That's episode ten, baby. What? Any, hey, look at that. We got ten in the books. Ten in the books. Here's to ten more. Episode 20, 20 weeks from not ten weeks from now. I think we can do it. I hell, fucking episode one hundred before we know it. Fuck it, you know, it'll just happen. Yep. Austin. Hey. Any final words for our viewers or for Steven um, Seagal? Um, calcium. Nice. I want to say that, uh, you know, given his trip to Venezuela, I really want to write a movie now just called, like, Steven Seagal Communist Samurai or oh. Socialist Samurai. That would be fun. Oh. He said, I can't remember the if it Samurai. The Kamurai. Um, it's a samurai who comes. <laughs> sure. Uh, you know, Steven Seagal, when he was there in Venezuela, he said that he's going to do a movie. He says he wants to bring the film industry to Venezuela and that he's going to do a movie where he plays President Nicolas Murado, uh, Maduro and is like a fucking like warrior version of him and he like has to fight demons oh my God. i'm so you know hell fucking steven seagal socialist samurai might not be that far off uh but mm. in the meantime i'll get working on the kamarai script about a samurai who fucking can fucking sling fat ropes he can throw ropes yep uh well everybody well, Hey, thanks everyone for listening. Thank thanks you so much. Thanks for listening to the show in general. Thanks for joining us today on episode 10. Austin, it's an honor yeah. and a pleasure to, to do the show with you every week, my yeah, good friend. Thank you for doing this movie. Yeah, of course. Out for Justice, uh, Steven Seagal. This has been Explaining to Austin. I'm Peyton. I'm Austin. And I just wanted to say uh, that one more time that... Uh, when I find your brother, I'm going to cut off his fucking head and piss down his throat. Met this bad boy back in Brooklyn with such a